Hello uh, to our audience. Welcome to this podcast edition of our Helix and Gene Medical Wellness Podcast. Uh, today, I'm here with our own Dr. Daniel Benalevi. Uh, Dr. Daniel Benalevi is one of my best friends, and he's like a brother to me. And we actually started this company together. He is the co-founder of Helix and Gene, and the president as well as the medical director. So today is really, really awesome. It really give you guys a great understanding of who we are and and how we got everything started. As always, I have my man John D'Olimpio here with me, uh, co-hosting. John, what's going on, guys? Hey, John. And uh, so without further ado, um, welcome to the show, Danny. Sam, thank you so much. You know, I love being here and uh, it's always an honor and I really appreciate the intro. Awesome. So, Danny, speaking of intro, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and about how this whole thing started, starting with your childhood, maybe a little bit about where you went to school. Just give us a little background about your childhood first and how this whole journey of yours came to be. I guess my journey started when I was five years old. Um, we had to leave Iran. There was a revolution there. And uh, my parents brought us to the United States. I was five. I didn't know the language. I wasn't very familiar with the culture either. And uh, I'll tell you a funny story. When I entered uh, first grade, my parents had received a letter from the teacher that um, I, I don't speak. I don't talk. Yeah, I was very shy, obviously. I didn't know the language. Six months later, they received a letter that I just talked too much and I need to focus more and stop talking. <laughs> so you'll see during the podcast, you may have to interrupt me from point to point. Danny is uh, one of those super, super smart, intelligent guys who uh, can uh, get into a subject and, and, and I have to kind of bring him back down to layman's terms every once in a while. So uh, we may have to do that here and there. I, um, thank you. <laughs> I believe you and I are from the same country, actually. <laughs> we are. We actually, so I came from Iran when I was nine years old. So I had the same type of, uh, you know, start as Danny did. Same so experience. That's, yeah, exactly. So that's something that we, we both share. We both happen to come to Great Neck. And, you know, we, we just is, uh, it, it's interesting how this whole thing unfolded. And here we are, 35 years later. <laughs> 40 years later, <laughs> 40 yeah. years later. You know, you they know, say like, that that kind of trauma that immigrants go through forces them to excel. Yeah, absolutely. You I mean, know, you're never in a comfort zone. No, never. I'm still not comfortable. No, me neither. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I tell people all the time, you know, I grew up in the middle of a war zone the first nine years of my life. You know, my kid's worst uh, fear is uh, whether he has lacrosse practice Monday or Tuesday. And, you know, we at 3 a.m. were getting sirens to go 20 feet underneath our building because there was exactly. bombs going off when I was his age. <laughs> you know, there's a, it's just it, it's a it's a completely different world. And, and you experienced the. Uh, good amount of that as well absolutely and i think that, that that's what kind of forces you to excel yeah absolutely and adapt and and do well you never get comfortable no so speaking of not being comfortable i know medical school going there is not comfortable obviously it, it may be for you but for most people it's a difficult task so can you tell us a little bit about how you started this uh journey as being a doctor is this something you always wanted or to be honest with you the answer to that question has to be no and i'm gonna elaborate on that because I don't want anybody to think that I don't like being a doctor. Right, right. But uh, when I was younger, I always looked up to my dad and my uncles and my brother who are entrepreneurs. You know, they're business people. There, were ne there aren't any professionals or uh, doctors in my family. And as I went through school and elementary school and middle school and high school, I realized that I'm pretty good at math and science. I mean, God had blessed me with, with those skills, math, science, physics, so forth, etc. So... Um, I applied to college, I got into NYU, 
And when I started NYU, uh, I sat with a guidance counselor. We went over some different options. And I was very interested in languages as well. So I decided to be a romance language major. I majored in French and Italian. And I did pre-med. I did pre-med to see where it can go. And pre-med just means basic sciences. Math, chemistry, biology, right. physics, biochem, and so forth. And right. you can really apply that to any to other, anything, right. to anything, exactly. correct. Lo and behold, I did well on my MCATs. And I got into medical school. Where'd you get into medical school? I got into medical school at a school called Technion in Israel. Well, where'd you go to undergrad? Undergrad, I went to NYU. Nice. Okay, good. And medical school was in Chai. There's a beautiful city up north in Israel. It's where the Baha'i Gardens are, by the way. Uh -huh. I don't know if you've ever been there. No, I have not. Beautiful. I live I right on top of the Baha'i Gardens. Oh, I've heard about them, obviously. My yeah. view was phenomenal. <laughs> so, so there's a school down where you go down the Baha'i Gardens. At the bottom, is, there's a hospital there, Rambam Hospital. And uh, there's a medical school affiliated with the Technion, Rappaport School of Medicine, and, and that's where I went. I was there for four years. By the way, for those people who don't know who Rambam is, he's one of the most elite-thinking um, spiritual scientists from like 800 years ago who founded a lot of the nutrition and things like that that actually Judaism applies today. Absolutely. He was I, a very I think I knew that, did you? No, I, he was a very <laughs> famous rabbi that, that, we, that we follow. <laughs> Strictly in, in, in Judaism. Yeah. And he was also one of the world's most famous doctors. Yeah. This guy was unbelievable. Yes, so really ahead was. of his time. Yeah. Correct. So, but, so okay. So he went to, you went to school abroad. Yeah. So um, I want to tell you more about Israel. Which, yeah, please. Which did, I mean, you, my experience in Israel definitely shaped the kind of doctor that I am. And you have to understand the culture and the environment in which the Israelis live. They don't live to necessarily you know be happy or or succeed in business and so forth they live to survive yeah you know it's more of a survival mentality there so you went from survival back to survival so <laughs> so i went from a uh i went from the united states culture to this israeli culture where you had to know your stuff you know you couldn't just go to class and uh take notes and take tests. They grilled you. You have to know your information. Why? Because it's life or death there. It's not about making money. It's not about getting paid from the insurance companies. It's about doing what's best for the patient. So it's sort of like being comfortable with the uncomfortable almost? Well, you would have to become comfortable right. with the uncomfortable. Right. And the, uncom the uncomfortable is you, you're it. Right. You know, you, in, in the States, it's a little different. There's a whole system where there's a system of protocols and malpractice and so forth that kind of cushions you so if you mess up there's less even culturally there's less of a liability but in israel the, the, it's not like that there's no there's no safety net there as oh, a that's very interesting as a physician you have to know what you're doing and when i went to school there the resources were very limited for example if you needed an mri for example the hospitals didn't have mri machines in-house there was a bus or maybe two buses, I don't remember exactly, um, that would carry an MRI machine from hospital to hospital each day of the week. So if you needed an MRI, let's say on Monday, you would have to wait till like Thursday or Friday to get it. So you didn't have access to such technology. So you had to use your brains, you know, you had to use your knowledge, your, your interviewing skills, your physical exam. You know, you had to, you had to be more involved as opposed to relying on tests and, and machines and so forth. 
which is how American medicine kind of functions these days. So a little bit about the school in Israel. You know, like I said, we, we talk a lot about people are like, oh, you know, you went to medical school abroad or, you know, a lot of people go to the, yeah, they, they go to uh, the Caymans and these kind of places. And the, 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 the notion is usually that, oh, this guy couldn't get into medical school. So he went over there. You know, you got into one of the best medical schools in the world. I mean, that's the, that's what this school was. I thank you for acknowledging that. And I'm going to humbly say that I agree with you. <laughs> um, however, I have plenty of colleagues who went to medical school in the Caribbean. No, no, I understand. And Mexico and, and, and so I, forth. I, who are phenomenal doctors. And they're phenomenal I'm not, doctors. Absolutely. I'm not knocking and it. I I'm just talking schools. to the perception of it. I, you know, I so I just wanted it. to clarify that. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But it's not just which medical school you go to. It's, how, it's what you kind of take home from it. Sure. Absolutely. And yeah. I maintained that survival mentality when I came back to the States. When I, when I came back to the States and I was doing my residency and afterwards actually training uh, residents under me in the emergency room and so forth, I worked in the emergency room for 10 years, by the way, pediatric emergency room. So uh, not, you, mu you must have seen some crazy stuff. I saw a lot of crazy stuff. But what I would do is I would take the residents under me and I would have them go see a patient before I would. And I would say, listen, tell me what this kid has. And they would come back to me and say, well, I need this test and that test. I'm like, no, you don't need any test. You need your knowledge. You need to ask the right questions, and you need a proper physical exam. Go back and tell me what this child has. I think that's the most important part, too, and I think you hit the nail on the head there of asking the right questions. I think physicians, it's so important to, to know the patient and to ask the right questions to get to the, the root of the problem. Correct. I mean, what we learned in medical school. And wait, I just, I, I really want to just touch up on something. So in creating our company, Helix and Gene, and creating our questionnaires and what we want to know from our patients now that we're in this medical wellness, preventative healthcare business, you and I started, you know, that knowledge that you were so well trained in and, and applied then is something that you've now applied to what we're doing today in our questionnaires and what we're asking for and what we're looking for. So it, it's, it translates itself, you know, and, and that's what provides for such a, like John said, that's the root base of understanding what you're dealing with when it's in front of you. Well, I would say that it's both knowledge and an approach. You know, it's more of an approach than it's a knowledge. Everybody should know the knowledge. Yeah. Everybody should know the knowledge. But they don't. Well, they don't because they rely on tests and images and so forth and protocol, et cetera. But you have to know the knowledge. Yeah. Once you know the knowledge, you have to know what you're asking and who to, how to ask which, who, and, and who your audience is. Um, I learned in medical school that 80% of your diagnosis should just come from history and physical exam. And the other 20% comes from imaging and blood work and so forth. And that's really how I apply my practice, what I apply to my practice. And I, and I think I kind of bring that into Helix and Gene. Yeah, absolutely. And the truth of the matter is that in regards to whether your goal is to lose weight or get in shape or become healthier, everybody has their unique needs and obstacles and life history and so forth. And you need to be able to kind of do some detective work and filter through all the nonsense and find out exactly what the rate limiting step here is. Is it something emotional? Is it psychological? Is it, are they just misinformed? What, what's going on? What, what's blocking you from making that leap and succeeding? And that applies a lot in pediatrics as well because yeah. 
what happens is, you know, I don't want to use the term veterinary medicine, but children can't talk to you below a certain age. They can't tell you this bothers me or that bothers me. Right. And the parents tend to be somewhat emotional at times. Yeah, absolutely. So they're not very good historians. So you have to kind of read between all the lines, mm. how the child is behaving, some, some core facts in regards to like temperature, vomiting, and so forth. And the mom or dad may tell you one thing, but what's really happening is a completely different thing. And, and we that's see, the art. That's I, the art. Yeah, of I, I, that, that, that's so well put. And I love that. Yeah. Because I love being a detective. I was I was just gonna say it's detective work. It's it's deduction and it, it's figuring out exactly what's wrong by process of elimination and and oftentimes like you, like you were saying, parents might be off in what they're you know they might say their kids you know my kids this this this, this yeah. and this it might not be right. Well, they didn't know? read the book, right? You know they don't know what they need to tell you, right? And you have to be very patient, and you have to be kind of ready for curveballs and so forth. And be able to sort out the emotional stuff and all the other uh, baggage that comes along with a right. child who's not well. Right. So speaking of pediatrics, you know, and so I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to transition a little bit here to how we came about with this right. company. Right. So, um, you know, you want to just, you know, give it a little history about how we kind of put this thing together where you came in and also like, you know, really how, uh, you know, what a lot of what you saw in, in, you know, we're in the preventative healthcare business now right. with Helix and Gene, right? right? And what, what better preventative healthcare than starting at childhood, right? So, I mean, this is kind of like where, you know, you and I, our brains came together and we saw this huge need and we said, okay, we got to do something here. So it, it's actually very personal and Sam, you know, yeah. You, you know my situation. Absolutely. So um, I was diagnosed with a neurological illness about over a decade ago. And in the process of going through understanding and dealing with it and the emotional aspect of it and so forth, I came across a lot of different uh, concepts to me, which at that, which at that time were foreign um, in regards to nutrition, diet, exercise, mindset, psychology and so forth and as i kind of investigated more i realized that there is so much that we're sort of doing improperly um, in medicine that we're not really applying to one's health in regards to preventative and in regards to cure and i changed my diet i uh, completely went against the orthodoxy and i realized i start losing weight and I was looking better and people telling me, Dan, you look younger and so forth. And as I learned and researched more, I, I realized that there's a whole world that we're not really privy to in, in modern medicine and even in Israel where I went to medical school that we're just not really very familiar with as well, physicians. Yeah. I mean, you physicians are taught nothing about nutrition. Well, we are. You're really not. But, <laughs> but I would have to say that even that is a controversial or disputable concept. Right. Okay. That's, I mean, your that's your idea of nutrition. Yes. You put three nutritionists or dietitians in a room, you're going to get three different yes. uh, philosophies. Yeah. Right. So, like for example, um, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly where to start, but in my personal practice uh, or personally, I started eating more healthy fats, 
eating less carbs, um, eating less processed foods. And I noticed a change. I noticed, I mean, everybody noticed a change. Um, and uh, I started applying that to my practice. For example, for example, I'll give you a little example. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends uh, giving 2% milk to children over the age of two, right? Mm-hmm. And I was following that protocol and so forth, and all doctors do. And I realized that this might be a mistake. This actually might be a stick, mistake. And I looked a little further, and when you think 2% whole milk, right? Most people think that it's 98% less fat, right? Right. Somebody says, oh, I have 2% or 1%. 1% would mean 99% less fat, right? But that's not the case. The truth of the matter is that whole milk is only 3% fat, 3.5%. So when you go to 2%, you only have a 30, 40% decrease in fat. You're still getting 60% of the fat, mm. right? And how much, how much fat do you have in a glass of milk? About 8 grams. Yeah. 8 grams of fat. So you cut off 40% of it. Okay, you cut off... Three grams grams of fat. Three grams of fat equates to about 27 calories, right? Mm. So you deprive that child. Let's say that child were to drink two glasses of milk a day, right? So that's 54 calories that you're depriving this child. A bag of pretzels has 100 calories in it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, you know me. I got you. I'm with you. Popcorn. Yeah. Potato chips. Soda. Ice, ices, fruit drinks, so forth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They crave and they seek those calories in other places that are not very healthy. So by us thinking that we're helping the children by giving them things that are recommended, the percentage actually induces more hunger so the child resorts to worse habits. Absolutely. And we see that in adults as well. Absolutely. I mean, you starts ha- at childhood and works its way up to adults. Sure. You have a sugary or high-carb a low-fat breakfast, and the entire day you're going to be seeking more calories That's exactly right. from carbohydrates. I mean, we can go into the whole insulin, uh, glycemic index, sugar cycle in the body, which 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 kind of yeah, go into contributes it. to that behavior. Tell us a little, yeah. But in children, in children, um, we see that kids who are having sugary breakfasts at around, let's say they're eating at eight or nine o'clock, at or seven o'clock, at around ten o'clock they start becoming very impatient and fidgety and so forth yeah. in school and that's because they're they, they had that sugar in the morning their insulin spiked now insulin lasts in the body for about four hours but that sugar is gone in about an hour an hour and a half so about two two and a half hours you have this insulin roaming around in your system demanding more sugar so these kids become carb or sugar seekers but if you were to give that child that whole milk in the morning and fill them up and less sugar then they're burning calories that don't influence the body's insulin and they sen- they tend to be more focused and less fluctuant in their behavior and their eating patterns throughout the day. Which is exactly what we're doing with our cleanse and our biohacking system inside Helix and Gene now. Absolutely. We're, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same exact formula. It works. People just don't know how to use it or don't, I've not been exposed to it for lack of a better term. Well, that's what I said. That's what I was getting at initially. Many obstacles are just poor understanding of how the system works. I mean, you walk into a supermarket and take eight out of 10 items off the shelf and eight out of the 10, take 10 items off the shelf. Eight of those are going to have added sugar. And that sugar in many times is in the form of high fructose corn syrup, Mm. which is the cocaine of sugars. 
which is as bad as it gets. So it's not people's fault. You know, that a lot of people are ashamed, but they don't understand that, you know, I have, I have people in my practice or kids in my practice or parents who are like, listen, I, I don't eat that much. I'm like, I know you don't. Right. It's not your fault. You're eating what's in the supermarket, and that's right. not your fault either. We have to fix that. We have to educate you. Yeah, yeah. We, we have to teach you how to pick the right foods. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because I've gone to people's homes. I've gone through their fridges, and so has uh, our director of nutrition, Lori, with patients and, you know, and some of our coaches. And, you know, we look inside these people's fridges, and, you know, it, it's like it's amazing, right? It looks healthy to the eye. Right, you look at their cabinet; it looks healthy to the eye. But you really start reading the labels, dissecting it, and showing them all of these things that are inside certain of these foods. And what they don't realize is those things might have minute amounts of the poison or the garbage in it. But done daily over a five-year period, they're disastrous inside Absolutely. your body. And that's kind of the same thing with our program, is because you know we through process of elimination show you that if you think you're eating something healthy such as tomatoes and it's and it's you know chopped up in your salad every day but it's causing an inflammatory an inflammatory response inside your system over a time you're not realizing it but that's having a detrimental effect on you so Absolutely. when when you put it into a high dose in one sitting as you're in a cleansed state, you all of a sudden see this shift where your body gains two pounds and you feel terrible. You're like, whoa, the tomatoes caused that. And you're not realizing because you're doing little bits incremental over time and you think you've been taught it's healthy. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's good for your body. Absolutely. Now, I'll give you a little interesting fact. Um, we mentioned, I mentioned high fructose corn syrup. Uh, fructose which is the main sugar found in fruit and so forth, as opposed to glucose or sucrose, lactose, which is the milk and so forth. Fructose needs to get metabolized in the liver before it gets used by the bloodstream. Um, high fructose corn syrup is constant pressure on your liver. Now, you mentioned over a year or five years and so forth, people who are eating the American-based diet, and this is, this is most of us, you know, we don't look at the labels and we don't even know what high fructose corn syrup is. That is constant pressure on our livers. And there's a new disease out there, which we were seeing a lot of in adults and now we're seeing in children, which is called fatty liver disease. Yeah. And initially it was thought that they were eating too much fat. But that theory's been debunked already. Yeah. yeah. It's not the fat, it's the sugar. Yeah. And in particular, it's the high fructose corn syrup, corn syrup, which is has to get metabolized in the liver. So you're stressing your liver morning, afternoon, and night, and you don't even realize it. It's like popping Tylenol all day. And the majority of these boxes that you pick up on, on you know, in the supermarket that these moms are feeding the kids all have high fructose corn syrup Take it from it. ketchup to peanut butter to cereal to tomato sauce. I mean, tomato sauce in America is sweetened. Um, across the board, from sodas to anything and everything you can imagine, they put high fructose corn syrup in it. And that's, why? That's the interesting thing because um, I tried to eliminate it um, within the last past year myself. And I've noticed just how many weird things that you wouldn't expect high fructose corn syrup to be in are in. Even and, bread. Yeah, like bread. And as you said, ketchup. Like these 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 items are like, why is there this? Because it's addicting. Is that why? Absolutely. And now it when did this start to come into prevalence? When did high fructose corn syrup start to... Um, hit I, the market. I guess when 
genetically modified uh, grains became more prevalent and you were able to produce more corn uh, at a cheaper rate and so forth. And you were able to extract more from corn. And they realized and they learned that they could create a super sugar in a laboratory. I mean, high fructose corn syrup should really be labeled as an artificial sweetener because it's not natural. There's no such thing in nature called high fructose corn syrup. It's a lab-made product. That is such an important fact that if you guys are listening, please pay attention to. It is not a real sugar. No, absolutely. <laughs> Most people have no clue. Most doctors don't know that. No, no. I, I apologize, and I apologize for going there. My colleagues know they don't have... They don't know. No, it's, and I don't blame them. No, they're not taught. No, I mean, we're not it's, taught. You know, it's almost like you're constantly taught to look away. Now there's all of these issues and problems, you know. And part of the reason why we started this whole company was to make that shift into. All you right. Know. So we were talking about why we started this company, yeah. and I remember the day that you actually approached me about about this company. We were talking <laughs> about genomics and DNA tests and so forth. I'm gonna, I guess we're going to get into yeah, that yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, go. Let's do it. But I told you, I said, Sam, my mission in life has become to deal with childhood obesity. And the reason for that is because everything else for me, thank God, treating ear infections and stomach aches and sore throats and so forth, I can really do in my sleep. And I, I, I don't mean to say that to, no, to be right, arrogant. I'm but... saying that I've done it. I've been doing this for 7 to 18 years already. So that's that's really not difficult for me. But the real challenge is to get that 12-year-old boy who's 200 pounds down to where he belongs. Yeah. And that challenge is multifactorial. Oh, very. I was about to say, yeah. It's the family. Yeah. It's yeah. the environment. Yeah. It's some psychosocial issues going on. It's it's 12 years of poor eating. Um, there's also another aspect which I'm going to throw in there is that children who are on a lot of antibiotics at a younger age, their gut biome, their the bacteria in their intestines change. And we're seeing that that actually contributes to obesity and different eating patterns as well. I really want to talk about that for a second because this is a really good issue, uh, a topic. And, you know, we talk about antibiotics. And, you know, obviously Danny is my kid's pediatrician as well. And, you know, when anytime my kids have a fever, they're sick, everyone's like, did you give them antibiotics? I'm like, no. I call Danny. Danny, do they need antibiotics? And I love his approach of, are they hydrated? Yes. Uh, are you checking the fever? Yes. Are you looking at what's going on within their system? Yes. He has, has me go through a list of a couple of things. No. Why would they need antibiotics? Let the system learn how to fight it and wear itself out. And I got to tell you, one of the biggest issues I agree with you on in adults today is because we pump ourselves and our kids Full of these antibiotics that destroy your body's natural immune system. I mean, it's 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 amazing how people just continue to do this. Sure, it destroys. Well, it it alters the immune system, right? It it can destroy it in many cases. It affects the way you digest food in your intestines because your the bacteria is responsible for breaking down a lot of the foods that you eat and also to produce a lot of vitamins that your body needs. I mean, there are different bacteria that actually produce vitamins. And if you lack those vi those bacteria, you're not producing those vitamins. And then the other issue is the coating of your intestinal wall. You know, we, we learn about leaky gut and so forth. Um, the bacteria have to line the intestinal wall. So if you don't have healthy bacteria lining the walls of your intestines, you don't have that first line of defense, whether it be absorbing or, or fighting against viruses or whatever the case may be. 
Now, in terms of like ingesting antibiotics uh, based on an illness, how does antibiotics in like our food correlate to this? Right. So look, I'm a God-fearing man, right? Antibiotics are God sent. You know, we've we've we're able to cure and and prevent death. Yes, absolutely. Right? So, but when utilized properly, when utilized properly, yes, exactly okay? right. And I use it when I definitely think it's necessary, right? And I do not abuse it, and I stay away from it like a plague when I don't think it's necessary. Well, now look, having said that, right? But just you know exactly what you just said, right? When used properly, it's the same thing, right? You you have you know these uh, you have things like drugs like uh, oxycodone and these painkillers and things like that. When used properly in in absolutely necessary situations, they're godsend in that they help such an incredible need. But the second it starts being overused and given to people, we have epidemics and people are dying. I think antibiotics, you know, the same thing. If, if you know, it's just it doesn't have such a strong, quick response. So the response becomes more of a, 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 a over time basis. So we don't pay attention to it as much. Absolutely. And John brought up a very interesting point, which is there are antibiotics in our food chain that we're not even aware of. For example, in, in, in our dairy and meat products and so forth, because cows and, and different animals and so forth that are being raised in feeding lots, they're in close proximity to one another. They're at high risk of spreading illness to each other. So one of the basic uh, practices is to feed them antibiotics. So the cows or whatever, the stock don't get, the livestock don't get sick. Well, you are what you eat, right? If the cows are eating or consuming antibiotics, or genetically modified grains with, with glyphosate, glyphosate or whatever the case may be, um, whatever they eat goes into their milk. And if you're drinking that milk or eating any dairy products that are produced from that milk, guess what? You're, you're getting a little dose of that antibiotic or whatever the case may be into your system. Now, as, as Sam said before, yeah, one, one time is not a big deal, but year and year and year and year after another, it leads to antibiotic resistance, superbugs, and all sorts of other problems. I always get that question because people are like, well, you know, does it really make a difference? Like if I have grass-fed beef or grass-fed butter or any of these things, you know, I, I did it for a week. I didn't feel a difference. And I'm just like, wow. Like, Well, okay. so you brought up the very interesting. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> it's uh, like, yeah, if you do it for a week, you're not going to see a difference. No. So the whole concept of grass-fed is is a new uh term yes but it's an ancient uh ancient. that's right it's ancient cows are supposed to eat grass right they're not supposed to be eating corn or grains or candy or chocolate or whatever to fatten them up they're supposed to walk around eat grass and there's a lot of nutrient uh potential in in grass that cows use to produce milk and and fat and and muscle that humans need um it tra it, it, it's part of the food chain and we're lacking that. And another thing we're lacking, I mean, I spoke about antibiotics. Uh, we're giving probiotics to compensate for that. Um, probiotics are just healthy bacteria in capsules or liquid form or whatever, or powder form. But, you know, there's an old saying, you can't put sunshine in a box, right? You can't put sunshine in a, in a, in a bottle, vitamin D, whatever the case may be. You can't really put or replace what's lacking in nature in a bottle. You have to get it naturally. And the problem is our dairy today and our food processing kills off all the healthy bacteria that one would have otherwise gotten 
previously and in previous generations, um, like the pasteurization process. And we're lacking all that bacteria. Well, we pasteurize milk so that you don't get sick from, from milk that's gone bad. But you've also destroyed all the healthy bacteria and enzymes that would have otherwise been part of that milk. Now, whether you make yogurt or cheese or whatever, that's all lacking. So we don't have, quote unquote, fermented foods in our diets anymore. And that's really the best way to maintain a healthy gut and the healthy bacterial environment in your intestines. One is to avoid antibiotics and one is to eat raw, natural, fermented foods, which are pretty much unavailable these days, these days in society. It's very tough to find. You can't find it because they're illegal. <clears throat> you, can't, you can't, for example, sell raw milk in a supermarket. Only a farm can sell it. So if you want raw milk or raw cheese or raw butter, you have to go directly to a farm and purchase it. Yeah. You cannot buy it in a supermarket or a restaurant. It's against the law. So that's, uh, that's very alarming. <laughs> yeah. Like my grandmother used to make yogurt <laughs> right. or back in the day. Yeah. That doesn't exist anymore. No, no. You know, it, it's funny. I always say, like, you know, if I go back to Iran and, you know, I visit for 10 days and I, 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 you know, I have my aunt's cooking and my grandma's cooking. I eat so much and all of this culture food. I come back, I'm three pounds lighter. And, and it's like everyone's like, wait, what, did you, did, 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 were you on a diet there? I'm like, no, I ate five times the amount as I do here. Right. <laughs> I'm like, but I lost three pounds. So as you and I always say, it's not about the calories. No, calories mean nothing. Calories mean nothing. It's about yeah. what kind of calories. Yeah. What kind That's of all, it's also one of the things that I've really learned, and I learned a lot of this from, from Lori, our director of nutrition, is that, you know, the type of calories make all the difference in the world, but also understanding the amount of calories that your body personally can burn and utilize per day is so important. So I think that's when calories matter. Absolutely. Like certain people, based on their muscle mass ratio or how their body breaks down, you know, food X, Y, and Z, can handle a much higher calorie count than others can or function very different, you know? And, and those are some of the more fascinating things, I think, that are a little more new and forefront to the aspect of nutrition by looking at it two steps deeper well it's funny you say new well you know what i mean by new <laughs> renew renew right because because i mean new you, meaning the public has no clue like if, if you look at the human body right it's i always say it's kind of like a hybrid car you can either burn sugar or burn fat you can't really burn anything else right as fuel right so we're in a constant sugar uh, carb fuel burning state as a society and carbohydrates that you get about four calories per gram mm -hmm. whereas fat you can get nine, nine calories yeah. per gram exactly so you can actually double your caloric intake by eating the same amount number of grams of food with healthy fats you'll most likely burn more too and you will change your metabolism yeah it's yeah. like clicking that button in your hybrid. Yeah. Are you going to burn fossil fuels or are you going to burn clean electricity? Yeah. No, it's interesting you say that because, you know, when, when I was bodybuilding, I would eat, you know, 500 grams to 600 grams of carbohydrates, good carbohydrates per day sometimes, you know, when, we're, when I was trying to really truly bulk a lot of muscle on my body. And people will be like, how do you stay looking round and lean while eating that many, you know, carbohydrates? I would explain to them, that only works in this under one percentile of lifestyle of <laughs> way of lifestyle where you're training five days a week, an hour and a half of intense, heavy motions where your body is utilizing all that glycogen. My, so it, it, it provides a balance within my system. If 
I'm here and I'm on a regular basis now. My carbohydrates on a daily basis right now are about 60 grams, you know, right. if that. And, and, and it's like, and my body functions at such a high optimal rate. So you're eating more fat and protein. Much more fat, yeah. Right. Moderate so they, protein, but that, that's based on our DNA test good. and everything we figured out. That's what works best for my body. So the ideal average for a human being, I believe, is about 40% fat, 40% protein, about 20% carbohydrates. Agreed. That's, that, right? that, that's really where I fall in, yeah. Our DNA tests kind of help you sort that out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Because there are people right. who are like, you know, we, we've, done, we've done a lot of DNA tests and we looked at, we've looked at our clients. And there are people who are more 50% protein, 40% fat, 10% carbs. Yeah. Then you have more of a 40, 30, 30 kind of distribution and so forth as well. But these are these little minute, uh, you know, differences. That's right. They do make a difference. But the major point to take home is that you really have to increase the fat and you have to decrease the carbohydrates. Yeah. And, and it's a false belief system thinking that eating a high protein diet is actually very good for you. Because if you understand chemistry, and as I said before, your body can't burn protein. Your body can burn sugar or fat. And with excess protein, it converts into sugar. Right. And, and, and there's and something called the Krebs cycle that, as I said, this isn't news. That's what I want We've to known this for, for a very long time, how the body processes fats and proteins and so forth. And excess protein just converts into sugar. Because I think today in society, fat is almost like a four-letter word. It's a bad word. You know, people think of fat and it's like, oh, we got to stay away from fat. You can't have fat. But fat is an integral part of diet, is it not? You well, know? it's healthy thank, fats. Thank God it's changing. Right. And you know what that term healthy fat can, is, is, is kind of, different people have different explanations. Right. You know, different, different answers to what is healthy and what is not so healthy. So what is a healthy fat? Well, look, if you look at the cells in your body and you look at your brain, and you look at your hormones and so forth, your body needs, and when I say need, essential, because it can't produce it. Your body needs saturated fats, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated. Your body needs a, a, a rainbow of fats okay, to maintain cells. Um, your brain requires cholesterol to work, to function properly. You know, we have, we have this whole uh, epidemic of vitamin D deficiency, right? And everyone says, well, you know what? It's because we don't go out in the sun as much and we put on all the sunscreen and so forth. And the truth of the matter is we're not consuming enough cholesterol. The body produces vitamin D through cholesterol. If we're not producing enough of it, or we're not consuming enough of it, then we're not going to be producing vitamin D. So everyone's vitamin D deficient, not only because they're not going in the sun, but because they're just not eating enough cholesterol. So let me ask you a question while we're on this cholesterol topic, because this is something you and I have discussed hours and hours on, you know, this whole, your cholesterol is too high and it's so dangerous and, you know, all of these things. And, uh, you know, we both realize how misinformed people are about cholesterol and what it really means and, and what the necessities are. Can you just give us a little explanation about cholesterol and how it breaks down and, and, and your, you know, LDL and HDL and things of that sort? Right. So LDL and HDL aren't really cholesterol. They're lipoproteins and they carry around things in the body. What's a lipoprotein for people who don't know? It's, uh, I, I don't really mean to get technical here. No, go ahead. But, okay. Just explain it. But it's more of a protein than it is a cholesterol. Got which it. has a different chemical structure, right? And upwards of 80, 85% of your body's cholesterol, your, the cholesterol in your bloodstream, is actually produced by the body. 
It's not from exogenous sources. It's not from eating. So you can cut cholesterol completely out of your diet. You may cut it by 10 or 15%. Your body's still producing cholesterol, and it produces it for, for many number of good it's reasons. one of the most essential things. Correct. In regards to the lipoproteins that you mentioned, HDL and LDL, yeah, the HDL is what we consider good lipoproteins, and the LDL is what we consider bad. And there are different theories as to what causes what to rise and so forth, which I, I, I'm not sure if we have time to get into. Yeah, we do, a little, a little bit, not too but, much. But a lot of it has to do with inflammation. A lot of it has to do with, with what else is going, around, going on in your body. I mean, you could still have a high LDL, but if your arteries are healing properly, and what I mean by healing properly is there's less inflammation. Um, if you can handle the calcium in your body properly, and I want to get into that if I can. Yeah. Then even a high LDL can be kind of worked with. Okay. And what I mean by calcium is that what, so having talked about grass-fed beef, mm -hmm. grass-fed beef and grass-fed butter and so forth has a vitamin called vitamin K2. And vitamin K2 helps navigate calcium in the body. If you have enough K2, it puts the calcium into your bones and it pulls it out of soft tissue where it doesn't belong. And just a quick question. Now, is K2 uh, available in regular butter or regular meats as well? Or is it is it the grass-fed that has that K2 the in it? The K2 is a reflection of grass. So, no. It's not readily available in regular butter and regular meat. So, that's why one of the main reasons why we recommend things like grass-fed butter is because of these hidden components. Not hidden, but un, I, I would say not looked at as closely components that once put in over time can make a tremendous positive difference. Right. So, so let's look at the arteries, right? There's inflammation. You have this low-density lipoproteins carrying around different... I would have to say healing components. They go to heal the inflammation. They stick to the blood vessel. And then you have calcium going crazy in your bloodstream because there's not enough K2 to navigate it properly. And they, the calcium sees the inflammation and it goes in and, and it calcifies it. It hardens those, those what we call plaques now, those atherosclerotic plaques. Um, that's why... That's why the, the entire cholesterol, fat consumption, um, the, whole, the whole notion that eating saturated fats clogs up your arteries isn't all that necessarily true. Um, it's, there are a lot of other factors involved that, that contribute to artery blockage, which include inflammation, which, in, which, which, which inflammation can come from all types of uh, consumptions sugar, artificial substances, smoking, environmental uh, toxins, and so forth. And by the way, this is all the stuff that, you know, for our audience, we took into consideration when developing our Helix and Gene system, you know, in understanding, you know, how to biohack your system and figure out a lot of these components and put your body back to zero and kind of te reteaching you how to, build everything from scratch again so you understand what works best for your body so over a 
the next 10 years of your life, you can make drastic changes that will improve your health span tremendously as opposed to continuing on this path that you've been going on and realizing that something is up, something is wrong. I don't feel good and I don't know why. Right. So having said that, um, I think what you and I are doing and with Lori and so forth is understanding what people's habits are, what they like to eat, what they don't like to eat. And we have a lot of tools at our disposal. Like in regards to getting the saturated fats, you can get it from coconut oil. You can get it from chicken fat, turkey fat, beef fat, and so forth. There are different sources that you can get it, um, especially, especially if it's grass-fed. Um, in regards to healthy cholesterol, you can get it from pastured eggs as opposed to supermarket eggs. And there are different ways to cook the egg to, main, to make sure that you maintain the integrity of that cholesterol, like burning it uh, in sunny side up versus uh, boiling it and so forth. Yeah, so just a, just a little quick little, you know, just to get a little deeper into it, you know, there's definitely aspects of different cooking temperatures and, uh, you know, and, and how you would cook your meat or your eggs or what temperature you would cook your foods in as opposed to others. And, you know, those things also we're just starting to really understand and learn more and more about now. Right, so when you look at fast food, right, a lot of people say, oh, my cholesterol is high because I eat because, you know, your cholesterol is high because you eat a lot of fast food. Like you go to McDonald's, let's say, and that's why your cholesterol. No, that's not the reason why. If you look at what you consume when you go to McDonald's, you get a pack of fries, which were cooked in vegetable oil, right? There's no cholesterol in vegetable oil, and there's no cholesterol in French fries. You get a large soda. There's no cholesterol in that soda, right? It's all high fructose corn syrup and food coloring and so forth. You get a burger. What is it? Three ounces, four ounces? Right. Most of it is processed meat anyway. So the cholesterol or the saturated fat that's in that burger is really nothing. Really nothing in the big scheme of things. But that bun, that bun is filled with high fructose corn syrup. Why? To make it addicting. Yeah. Right? And that ketchup, high fructose corn syrup. To make it addicting. So you want yeah. more of it. So people who eat a lot of fast food and they're overweight and they're unhealthy, it's not the cholesterol. And it's really not the saturated fat because I just demonstrated to you. There's really no saturated fat with that meal that you just picked up from McDonald's. There's a tremendous amount of sugar, right? There's a tremendous amount of processing. And in regards to cooking temperature, those fries are the, the reason why fried foods are unhealthy is a because that oil in which they fry the food become becomes toxic at a certain temperature, right? So there are certain there are certain oils that can withstand their integrity and their structural integrity, which you can consume at a high temperature. And there are certain oils that you cannot. So when you're frying foods, you're actually frying them in oils that are not supposed to be used at those temperatures, whether it be vegetable oil and so, vegetable oil and so forth. The other issue is cooking certain foods rapidly at a high temperature, which happens to potatoes, mm. which becomes toxic when they're cooked at such rapid, at a, such rapid pace at such a high temperature. So there are certain foods that need to be cooked at the right temperature, or I would have to say the right speed, in order to maintain the integrity of the original nutrients. Keep nut the nutrients, yeah. Keep the nutrients, um, not to denature the protein, not to ruin the fat, the original fat, and not to create any new toxic chemicals, whether through burning or alteration of the original chemical structures of, the, of those foods. 
Like well, barbecued foods, a lot too much barbecued food is not good for you. Right. Especially if the, the meat is burnt. Right. I was like, oh, I grilled my food on the grill every night. And I'm like, that's not the best thing to do. No, it's not the best <laughs> thing to do. Right. The best way to cook meat is to slow cook it. Yeah, slow cook it. That's right. So real quick, so I, I'll share something with you guys. You know, um, I mean, there's a, there's so much to talk about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a sea of information. But but there, there's something to the point of what you're talking about, right? So everyone's a lot of people talk about a raw food diet, right? And I tried to go on a raw food diet once. And I, what happened to me was, was I started and I was about nine days in, okay? And all of a sudden, first of all, I lost a tremendous amount of weight right away. And in, within those nine, first nine days, by the ninth day, something really interesting started happening. I would step out onto the street my senses got so heightened, like I would smell the pollution in the air. And that sounds crazy to most people, but like I had trouble. Like I, if, if I was walking somewhere, I could like feel and smell the dirt and the air and the pollution because my body was just so clean because everything I was eating was just raw. Absolutely. And, and, and in a way it was an adverse effect because I was really having trouble dealing with the environment Sure. And, and I didn't feel good. So like I went back into putting cooked foods back into my system just to, so I can feel normal again. Sure. Um, when you say raw foods, you have to kind of sort that out as well. Um, no, nothing cooked. Everything I ate was raw. Fine. But we have to understand that a lot of nutrients um, in food need to be cooked yes. to be activated. Um, in regards to, uh, for example, lycopene. Um, in tomatoes. Lycopene is an antioxidant that protects against prostate cancer in men. Well, you can eat tomatoes all day long. That lycopene is not activated and is not really absorbable, right? You need to cook that tomato and it's a fat-soluble antioxidant, which means it needs to be coupled with fat or oil or whatever for it to be absorbed, for you to actually benefit from it. So I personally am not a raw food diet guy yeah no i agree um, with you. maybe for a short period of short time period of time to cleanse right. the system no more than seven days to reintroduce and then start reintroducing foods correctly yeah. but certain foods must be cooked and i would have to say half of our foods need to be cooked in oil yeah in fat and oil to benefit for us to benefit from the fat soluble vitamins and nutrients yeah beta uh, carotene i mean there are a whole list of them so, right, there's a whole list of, obviously, like, antioxidants within foods that our body needs, and, you know, we're figuring out different Right, so you, just, so you just mentioned antioxidants, right? What is the concept of an antioxidant? It's to clean up the free radicals. Right, fight free radicals, yeah. Which are produced by oxidative stress. That's why it's called antioxidants. By oxidative stress on things that are, your body is exposed to. And what causes oxidative stress? overheating of oils, overheating of foods, smoking, eating burnt food, and so forth. These are all uh, behaviors in fast food and, and cooking that contribute to this oxidative stress that you need antioxidants to combat and clean up. So if you're a mom that's listening to this podcast, because we do have a lot of intelligent moms that do listen to this podcast of ours, and you know what like what is your advice if 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 here's a mom she's you know she has a 14 year old who is overweight or what we would clinically call obese right 
and you know they want to make a change what are a couple of quick things that this person can do right off the bat to make a difference in their kit? simple go through every item in your cabinets and your refrigerator if it has high fructose corn syrup throw it in the garbage and find the alternative that uses either natural sugar or cane sugar or whatever and you can do that with peanut butter you can do it with ketchup you can do it with any condiment you can do it with your sodas you can do it with your cereals i mean that's a big 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 yeah. uh culprit right there yeah, that sugary sweet yeah. cereal in the mornings um that's a two if your budget allows i would go for organic non-gmo foods and there are many reasons why i recommend that um I have an issue with GMO grains. I think a lot of what we define as gluten sensitivity in society right now is not really the gluten, but it's these new ge genetically modified grains that are in bread and so forth that are giving people stomach issues. Mm. Like if you go to organic bread or non-GMO bread, you'll see that, wait a second, I didn't have a stomach problem with that. I, it didn't bother me. I thought I was gluten sensitive. No, it's not the gluten. It's the it's this new species of grains that we're that we're, that we're feeding ourselves. Hmm. So if you have the budget, I would say try to go with non-GMO snacks, non-GMO pasta, non-GMO bread, and I wouldn't be too scared of giving a three, four, five-year-old child more fat, whether it be through milk, butter, uh, avocado, using a more fatty oil like coconut oil, or avocado oil. I mean, in our house, we only use coconut and avocado oil to cook with yeah that's too pretty much and then yeah. we use kind of olive oil and olive salad oil, and so forth yeah, once in a while, yeah. um vegetable oil is banned in our in yeah our same man um, for many reasons yeah. but that's that's the problem that's the mis that's the misunderstanding because for the past two or three decades we've been told that vegetable oil is good for you like canola oil and so forth but there's this whole new philosophy which i subscribe to that they're not good for you they're actually oxidative they create a lot of oxidative stress. They're inflammatory. They have a high omega-6 to 3 ratio, which creates even more inflammation. And cooked at higher temperatures, they, they, they cause problems. Yeah. They cause so, problems. So these couple of small little changes. These couple of small little changes can make a big, big, big difference. Huge, yeah. Huge Especially difference. Especially in your adolescent's development. Like people in don't all understand. aspects. But yeah, but, but really, like when that child is really learning and their body is starting to build up its own defense mechanisms, right? The more non-GMO products you give them, the more you put them away from uh, uh, high fructose corn syrup, the less antibiotics you feed them, you know, the more conscious you are about giving them grass-fed butter, grass-fed beef, and, you know, the more conscious you are about utilizing good healthy fats such as, you know, uh, uh, coconut oil and you avocado know and avocado oil and those things and just avocado avocado in general you know and absolutely yeah so you know and and utilizing breads that like you said do not have these components inside sure. of them you know these are little changes that if you do as yourself as an in yourself as an adult you see huge changes but when you really catch your child at a young age and, and you start feeding their system this way from beginning, that's really where preventative health care is Absolutely. all about. I mean, you mentioned bread. Um, back in the day, we used to make bread uh, using yeast, right? 
if you look at the ingredients of, of like Wonder Bread and so forth, like common breads that kids eat, there's no yeast in that bread. And the reason for that is because yeast eats sugar. So if there's any sugar in that bread, that yeast that's kind of cooking with the bread eats up the sugar, which makes the bread a lower glycemic index. Well, what happens is if it's a lower glycemic index, it's less addicting. So there are a lot of designs that went into our food chain in, sure. reg in regards to forcing us to consume more. Well, food addiction is real. And, and, you know, and sugar addiction is really real. Sure. And, you know, this is part of when someone comes into our program, you know, if they're 40 pounds or more overweight, we first thing we make them realize psychologically is that this is an addiction issue that you have like anything else, like sure. a drug issue. So, you know, it, it's understanding that, coming to terms with going, oh my God, I've actually been unawarely doing this. Most people are unaware of this. They're, they, they don't even, they're realizing they're eating more. They're realizing why they're overweight, but they don't really realize why they're eating more and what's being induced, what hormones are triggering specific things inside their body that's not telling them, hey, four ounces of meat was enough. You don't need 12, right? right? So like these are a lot of the factors that, you know, you and I have taken into creating our system in, you know, really looking at these different, you know, factors over time because these things make all the difference in the world. Absolutely. So my one philosophy that I really subscribe to is that in America we're, we're obese, we're overweight, we're over-consuming, but we're nutritionally deprived. Like we are in a constant state of nutritional uh, depravity, right? But we're over-consuming. That's well said, yeah. And the body is very smart, okay? The body knows when to stop eating when it's nutritionally satisfied, not calorically, right? You can continue. You, you, for example, you take a bucket of popcorn, right? You can finish that whole thing in a sitting, right? But if I gave you like two ounces of sweet potato or three ounces of salmon, you're done. Right. You're done. But if I gave you six or 10 ounces of French fries, you'll eat more. Why? Because your body is saying, I need more nutrition. I need more food. I need nutrition. I can, this doesn't work for me. Right. And then what does it do? It can't burn those foods that you're eating right now. So it stores this as fat. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't know what to do with it. That is a phenomenal, enlightening little piece you just gave because I really, again, want, if the moms are listening and, and, and dads as well about understanding this nutrition for their children, understanding the difference between the caloric need for more and the nutrition need for more is so important. Absolutely. And I also just have a question. So when you talk about being nutritionally full, say you're a mom and you have four kids and you're on a budget. Uh, what is sort of the hierarchy of needs in terms of foods that you should look for in terms of, you know, if you're getting non-GMO or if you're getting organic, like what is the most, what are the most important things to do to make sure that you're sort of uh, feeding your kids nutritionally and getting them nutritionally full? Look, it's very complicated, okay? Especially if you say you're on a budget and so forth. Right. And you're dealing with kids whose, whose palates have become corrupted by society. You know, they're sugar seekers and so forth. So you have to kind of be creative. Um, 
power foods, as you would, you would be asking me, you have to get better fish. If they eat fish, try to get organic fish or, or excuse me, wild fish, like wild salmon and so forth. Um, bread, try to get bread that doesn't have any high fructose corn syrup. Um, fruits and vegetables, if you can afford it, try to get organic. They have much less pesticides and so forth. Um, in regards to dairy, uh, try to get grass-fed. And there are a lot of companies that make uh, grass-fed butter and so forth. I happen to keep kosher, so it's a little more difficult to find. But in the non-kosher world, dime a dozen. But also, you know, something you alluded to. See, I, I, I get this question all the time, right? And that was a great thing, And John, e you even up. the snacks, you should get non-GMO. Like, there's non-GMO popcorn now. You go oh, to, there's, yeah, you walk into Trader Joe's. Yeah. It's, you know, even the cookies and Oreos yeah. and all these things. It exists. Oh, it definitely exists. You know, but one of the things that, that, that you, you Peanut know. Peanut butter you can you, get. You brought up. Which is natural. Which I really want to want to touch up on is, you know, you said, you know, if, if people ask me all the time, well, if I go get that wild Alaskan salmon instead of the farm raised salmon, wild Alaskan salmon, let's say, you know, for a pound of it costs five dollars. And these are arbitrary numbers, sure. by the way. Um, and and, the you know, and, and a pound of, you know, farm raised salmon, you know, costs three dollars. So I can get two pounds, you know, for the price of what I would normally want to feed my four kids. My response to them is if over time, if you teach your kids to eat the money that you spent on that one pound of salmon split in four ways, they'll be a lot more satisfied because they're getting their nutrition Absolutely. correct. Absolutely, they'll eat and less. And you're actually spending the same amount of money. Correct. You just have to change your philosophy and, and that understanding, of the, that thinking of, I need to feed my kids eight ounces of salmon each. No, you don't. You need to feed them three. Correct. If it's wild salmon, they'll be done at, th at three to four ounces. So it's almost like the equivalent, if I can do sort of like a metaphor of, of buying something really good that will last you a long time than buying 10 different items that will keep breaking every two months that you have to keep reinvesting. No, absolutely. Yeah. And when you say long time, we're talking about energy throughout the day right. and, you, and, and hunger and food seeking and so forth, right? That, that nutritionally appropriate peanut butter which means it has as opposed to having uh, vegetable oil and high fructose corn syrup it might be made with palm oil and some sugar that'll go much longer through the course of the day than the cheaper brand which uses a high fructose corn syrup because once that sugar is broken down that high fructose corn syrup your child is seeking more sugar he or she is seeking more food so yes he'll they'll end up eating less as well and that will that will offset the costs right and 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 there goes a psychological and philosophical transformation hence our slogan train your mind to change your body right so if if you understand once you start philosophically and psychologically buying into this formula you know uh, or as the word danny likes to use subscribing to this type of method you know you start to have a clear energetic shift in your household and in the way you are and the way your kids are and look it may be difficult your kids may kick and scream the first you know 10 days but that's all it is two weeks of following through as a parent on a behavior with your child breaks the psychological habit so if if you are determined and disciplined enough to be able to do that and you're committed enough to your health and your children's health over time then you will sacrifice two weeks of dealing with some you know maybe outbursts or this this and that or whatever it may be to get everybody on track and then it really starts 
having such a positive effect that you're like, hmm, why didn't I do this sooner? Absolutely. But you need proper handholding. Yes, and that's where we come in. There's such a sea of misinformation out there from social media to fake news sure. to what different nutritionists and doctors recommend and so forth that is very confusing. And you Well, I always say, right, we live in the the, the expert society, all these gurus, you know. I, I, I can't tell you the countless amount of gurus that I that I personally know online who preach this well lifestyle. Meanwhile, they are the most depressed people if you get to know them on, on a regular basis. Uh, There's so many of these, uh, you know, um, um, experts on, you know, relationships and the person's been divorced four times. Like, you know, you, you, you have to walk the walk, understand what it is that you're doing and you're preaching, and you have to actually apply it in your life and in the people around you to be able to teach it and get it across to others. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And what I think is really great about our program, Sam, is that we have these amazing coaches. Yeah, we do. We really do. That can filter out all these uh, obstacles. Yeah. And figure out what formula works best for the client. That's right. And as you said, there there are, you were talking about sugar and, and, and addiction and so forth. There's a chemical addiction in your brain um, sugar actually helps with serotonin and dopamine and so forth. So you actually feel better when you, when, you know, emotionally when, when you're consuming a lot of sugar, but there's also an insulin and other hormonal, uh, cycles in your body that creates that addiction as well. Um, having said that our coaches are really good at looking at the entire picture yeah. as to what the social dynamics are, yeah. what are the obstacles, what, what, what's, what what's preventing this person from changing? Yeah. And that's really what you need to do. And the change is not that hard. As I've been saying through this whole podcast, you just have to look in the ingredients and pick a product that has better Start ingredients. Start small. Yeah. It tastes it tastes the same. Yeah. You just have to educate yourself. Yeah. But it's in in as I said, in the sea of social media and fake news and and Instagram and Facebook and so forth, it's overwhelming and extremely, extremely confusing to most consumers. And that's, I think, where we really come in. And I think it's important also to stay diligent because I think a lot of people, they might you know, say, okay, I'll just buy the grass-fed butter, I'll buy grass-fed meat. They'll do it for a week and they might not see a difference right away, but they have to understand that it's that compounding through years that really makes a difference. It's not It's not a quick fix. I think in society, everyone sort of looks for that quick fix. Sure, there is no quick fix. There it is takes, no quick fix. It takes time to reset your metabolism, right? right? And it takes time. So trust the process, in other words. It takes time to reset your palate as well. Like, for example, when I first started going on a low-sugar, low-carb diet, things didn't taste as good. Now my wife makes cucumber juice. And believe it or not, Sam, it, it's, John, it's, it's sweet for me. Yeah. Like, she makes celery juice. It's amazing and, how and that it's works. Sweet. Yeah. It's sweet. It's sweet. And it's not, it's not bitter. Yeah. I enjoy it. It's refreshing. It's sweet and so forth. And when I eat, like, for example, let's say a piece of cake or even, like, a third of a cup of apple juice or something, I don't feel well. You don't well. feel well, yeah. I don't feel a, at it, all. Yeah. I feel a rush through my body. <laughs> I feel a little lightheaded. I just, I'm like, I don't feel right. My, 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 best, uh, my best example of that is I call it the peanut butter test, right? You, if, if you're used to eating that, like, like the Jiffy or the regular peanut butter, right? The first two, three times you switch to a natural, organic, sugar-free peanut butter, you 
feel like, oh, what is this taste? What's going sure. on? After two weeks of eating that peanut butter, if you even have a tablespoon of the other one, you feel sick to yeah, your it's stomach. It's nauseating. You're like, oh my God, like Absolutely. how did I take this down every single day? Absolutely. It's it's nauseating. It's Sure. Unbelievable. And that's something that I think it, it's such a distinct thing that you can like, and a lot of kids eat it. So it's, it's so distinct to figure that taste out right away. You see such a difference within two weeks. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe I ever ate this thing. And the earlier you start training children, the easier it is. The tra- the, 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 there is no transition. <clears throat> no, right. That's right. I mean, so if you're, one if, of the things though that John, you just alluded to was, you know, the, the, the process, right? And understanding it over time. And one of the things that we have going for us is our age group of parents and our next generation of the ones that are, you know, in their 50s and 60s, you know, for their kids and their young adoles- young adults are starting to come across a lot of these leaky gut, fatty liver, things that didn't exist before because these problems that we are talking about right now hadn't accumulated over time in society yet. So now that from childhood, these terrible habits have accumulated, we're starting to see these diseases. So if we can apply that same mindset to say, hey, if we go back right now and we start taking these things out over time, when your kids or our kids are in their 30s and 40s and 50s, these issues are not going to exist. That's preventative health care at its finest. That's what it is, my friend. That's exactly what it is. And that was our main purpose when we started that this That was company. our main purpose? That was the main mission statement of why we got together and said, we got to do this, you know, and put this program together. Correct. And in 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 doing this you really have to change the culture of the house yeah and you have to change the parents the parents need to change first and then they could apply to their children you can't be eating whatever you want in front Agreed. of your kids agree monkey see monkey do yeah, and you can't expect your kids to eat healthy when you're downing uh donuts and and That's exactly bonbons right. and ice cream and so forth this just doesn't work like that way so danny you know obviously as we do for days at a time you and I talk every day we can sit here and talk for four more hours I can we talk for weeks to. about this stuff right. I love so, it so but you know but but I but I do want to do a 2.0 version of this and it would I be think, my pleasure you know, Sam yeah and and you know it, I think we covered a lot of great topics um, you know Danny is uh, Danny his his Pedi- he has uh, his pediatrician business is Kingsborn Pediatrics. He's located in Great That's Neck. That's right. You don't need to um, plug me in. No, just you know, it's good, but it, but it's good because a lot of our parents listen, and and I refer people to you all the time That's for your fine. business because no, 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 because it's not about that. It's not about the business aspect of it. It's getting more and more people who will have these conversations, doctors like yourselves, with their patients and their mothers. You know, is is what we need more of, and Absolutely. I think you know. The more mothers that are curious, they should switch to pediatricians like yourself, you know, even if one's in their area, if they're not around here, who will have this type of philosophy because it does, it makes all the difference in the world. And then, you know, we have our programs at Helix and Gene, which, you know, come and they, we, we have kids and moms. And But you said when they first come in, we always say to the parents, you need to do this first. Absolutely. You, you can't. You can't expect your child to pick up this behavior when you don't have it. Correct. It's never going to work. If you're not drinking celery juice, your child's not going to drink celery juice. That's exactly juice. right. Uh, it's just how it works. So um, if anyone If you're picking any... at French fries all day, yeah. believe me, your child's going to be picking at French fries all day. No, it's true. And it, again, it's it all becomes back to 
train your mind, change your body. You have to philosophically understand and subscribe to this type of formula and lifestyle. Um, so in, in, in conclusion, you know, it, Danny and I, uh, along with, you know, John and Lori and our whole team um, and, and, and our good friend Bobby here who had, helps us do all of the podcasts and a lot of our technical work, you know, we put together a great team of people who are here for the public, for people who if they are truly looking to make a change um should come see us and we will help you make a difference and it's really really important that people understand that's our that. mission that's our mission our mission here is to is to really train your mind so you can change your body that's really what we want to do and there's no age old enough and there's no age young enough um, it's just a matter of having that willingness to see there is an issue and I need to do something about it um, <clears throat> so if you guys have any questions for Danny, uh, you can email him at uh, Daniel at helixandgene.com. Perfect. And you can always go to our social media, which I'm going to hand over to John. Yeah, on Instagram, it's at Helix and Gene. And we post a lot of tips and nutrition advice and recipes and things like that to kind of get you into our culture and, and to kind of learn more about us and, and see what we do and who we are. And if you're interested in our programs, you can go to www.helixandgene.com. That's H-E-L-I-X and G-E-N-E. Um, so, you know, we're here to help with anything you need. Danny, again, thank you so much for thank doing you, Sam. this it's today. An honor. And uh, we're looking for doing the 2.0 version of this soon. Can't wait.